Titus chapter 1, go ahead and turn there, scroll there. Uh, you know, we don't do this much, but I got to honor and say hello to former lead team member George Schroeder in the house today, all the way from Colorado. This is uh, the first time, so George's first pastorship here at Redemption City. We sent him and his family out last year to Colorado. Uh, they're suffering for Jesus in the mountains, okay? So George, it's an honor to have you back. Love you, brother. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Okay, so let's get a little existential today. What is life about? You know? Yeah, let's go ahead and go there. Yeah, come on. Okay, what is life about, really? Like, we can easily and quickly go to, it's not about money. You know, it's, it's not about a career. It's, it's not about this. It's not about comfort and entertainment. It's not about likes and followers, even though we spend a, a good, bit of t- good bit of time pursuing those things. So what is life about? What, what's the purpose and point of all this, you know? Uh, being happy? And then what does that even mean? Is it about raising a family? What happens, what's life about when they grow up and go? You know, is it about, we hear a lot about life's about leaving a legacy. Okay, what are your great-grandparents' first names? One person knew. Okay, not, I'm not even asking their story. Like, what are just their names, right? So we'll see Paul make the case today that Jesus is life. Not just that, that life is about Jesus, but life, that Jesus is life altogether, okay? And I rarely title my sermons, but that's the title of the sermon today, Jesus is Life. And Paul's a good person to listen to here because he is uh, in prison in Rome, and he thinks there's a good chance he's about to die. And so if, if you were with someone who's on their deathbed, they're about to die, you would lean in to, and hear what they're about to say. If they're about to bottom line life and share some wisdom with you, you're going to lean in and go, what's he about to say right here? That's Paul in this instance. Everybody... If you would, kind of take your fist, go and put it up, take your fist, and ball it up real tight. Real tight. Hold it. Hold it. Now a little tighter. Hold it. Not just a little tighter. Okay, relax. You know, we all have these things that we're pursuing after, chasing after. Popularity at school, maybe. A vacation home, early retirement, the perfect family, and we ball our lives tightly into those dreams, hoping they can deliver on their promises, but Jesus wants you to release all those things that are never going to satisfy, by the way, and he wants to be your life. You know, we'll never find what we're looking for outside of Jesus. That leads us to Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at 18 all the way to 30. Paul says, and yes, oh yeah, I will rejoice, because I know that through the prayer, your prayers, Philippian church, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Great. Yet, which I, sh- I shall choose, I cannot tell just yet. I'm hard-pressed between the two, life and death. My desire is to depart. I want to be with Jesus face-to-face, for that is way better than any of this. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, church, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. 
Church, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent and I die, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, and all that, that's a clear sign to them of their destruction that's coming, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So I want you to read the end of verse 18 there again and think about where Paul is. Okay, Paul goes, oh yeah, I will rejoice. That's happening. That's going to happen. And again, so Paul isn't sitting in a comfy chair in the lobby of an air-conditioned building of the Philippian church. Okay, he didn't just finish a two-meat plate at Panther City Barbecue. Okay, he is in a Roman prison. Okay, and his expectation is that he's going to probably die from his circumstances. He's in chains there in a Roman prison. And so don't picture like the, the, the prison that Paul is in, like the prisons that we have here in Texas or across the United States. As most of you know, my parents are missionaries in El Salvador. Okay, y'all say El Salvador. That's not how you're supposed to say it. But okay, so for 36 years, my parents were missionaries in El Salvador, okay, in Central America. And the prisons there, you get one tortilla most days. Okay, there's no showers or plumbing. All the guys are basically stacked in a cage on a dirt floor outside, and it's, it's tough. And that's more like what Paul is experiencing here. So he's dirty and thirsty and starving and in pain and rejoicing, okay? And, and you're like, well, yeah, he's an apostle. I mean, yeah, sure, he's like a super Christian. He, Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road, like, good for you, Paul. You got it, bud. You can do that, okay? But what I want to show you today is that this level of unwavering joy is available to each of you. Uh, You know, a life of complete surrender and total joy is available in Christ to each of you. Even like the title of the sermon, Jesus' life, a lot of times, I I know what a lot of you are thinking, like, that's not me. Oh, good for some of those super Christians in the room. Jesus can be, really, he can be everything for them. But like, I didn't grow up in church. And when I went, I didn't pay attention. Like, he can't be my, I can't grow into that kind of person. But you really can. You know, I went to a, uh, a funeral for a 95-year-old man. He died when he was 95 a couple years back. And we had been to coffee a few times. Very, very godly man. Okay, he got saved at 71. And he was what we would say in Mississippi, he was a hell raiser for 71 years. Okay, dude, he was not a good person for 71 years. And then Jesus saved his life. And at his funeral, everybody was going, he, he loved the Bible. I mean, he taught our class so well. He did this. He served our community, all these things. And he didn't get saved until he was 71. And then for 24 years, more and more and more, Christ became his life. It's available to each of you. We're going to get super practical next, in next week's sermon, but uh, growing into Christ to the point where you can rejoice through the trial is something that I want for each of you, you know. Um, I brought this picture uh, so this, the, 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 our journey with Christ is just that. It is a journey. It's not, it's not over tomorrow, and we get decades for the most, you know, most of the time to grow into Christ. But what I've experienced in ministry, you know, in the Bible, we have gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit, and everybody lines up for their gift. What did Jesus give me? What, you know, I got the gift of hospitality. I got the gift of teaching, and I like to unwrap it and give it to the church. That's great. But the, the line for growing and for bearing the fruit of the Spirit ends up being kind of short. 
What sin do I need to leave so that the fruit of the Spirit can be born and grow in my life? So, yeah, so of course, we have to always bottom line, we're saved by God's grace. Okay, You didn't save you. I can't save me. I don't have that in me. It's Jesus' finished work on the cross that saves us. And then we step toward growing in Christ and planting these seeds of the Spirit in our lives. That's from Galatians, by the way. And it bears fruit. We take concrete steps after we know Jesus. And Paul's making the case that as Christians, Pastor Chris talked a lot about this last week, that circumstances don't determine our joy. That's really good news. Paul has this, again, unwavering joy in Christ. And the unwavering joy that we're talking about, it isn't found in being rescued from the prison. Okay, he's not like, as soon as I get out of here, I can really have a great day. That's not what he's saying. So the joy doesn't appear once the storm has passed. It's throughout the storm. It's across the desert. It's in the prison. The joy is Christ. Again, the joy isn't becoming debt-free or being healed from the sickness, or finally being delivered from that terrible boss, okay? The joy is Jesus himself. Candidly, that's, it's really hard for us to get our minds around that as modern American people, modern Western people. It's been so ingrained in us that my life is about my happiness that it's hard to get our minds around. I can totally surrender my desires to Jesus and his way. Because here, Paul's dilemma is not, oh, I want to be healthy, but I love hamburgers, it's like, oh, I really want to save money, but I really need a new jacket. That, that's not his internal dilemma. His internal dilemma is, look at verse 21 to 23 again. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. That's great. And I'm not sure which I'm going to choose. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between living and dying. My desire is to depart. I want to be with Jesus, for that's far better. That is his internal dilemma that he is dealing with. In other words, he has grown into such a desire for more of Christ that living or dying is a win-win situation, you know? Uh, his life's goal is to honor Christ. Paul loves serving Jesus. He loves serving Jesus' church, and he didn't desire death, okay? It's not that he desires death. He desired to be with Jesus face-to-face. And he's like, you know, but if I live through this imprisonment, that's great. That's fantastic. Then I'll make more disciples with the Philippian church and we'll mess the devil up real good. That's great news too if I end up living through this. What excites Paul about surviving his circumstances is he he gets to make more disciples with the Philippian church. If I'd have been in that jail cell, I wouldn't have been writing y'all a letter probably, you know. I probably would have been sitting there going, oh, this stinks. I don't deserve to be here. As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to get a steak and some brisket and a sweet tea. Like that's where my mind would have been, okay? But Paul's sitting there going, I can... If I die, I get to be with Jesus, and if I live, I get to make more disciples of Jesus. Yes. Okay, so how do I grow into the depth of desire for Christ that Paul has here? Again, we're going to get very practical next week, but I think maybe the best way for us to grow in Christ is through storms and trials. (laughs) It kind of stinks, right? That's what I think. So some of you know this, but 2019 was the worst year of my life. Um, honestly, I was going through it, and there was no escape, there was no retreat, the only way out was through, you know, and people who I really looked up to disappointed me, friends who I'd had their back, they didn't have mine when it really mattered, and all Courtney and I could do, my wife and I could do, was just lean into Jesus, you know, and in that desert, God broke through. In ways that I don't think he could have if it wasn't 
if we weren't in the desert, you know? And in that desert, uh, what that season really gave me, honestly, was brokenness. That was the gift of that season. And Jesus was with me in that brokenness. He was with me in that long season of pain. During that long journey in the desert, I changed, you know? Now, desert trials, persecution, all these things, storms don't naturally produce growth into Christ. So it doesn't necessarily naturally happen, okay? Uh, I changed up a ton of habits, you know, that I could tell you about any time. I, I talked to some really great pastors and counselors, like, why does this hurt so much? Why? So we unearthed what was really going on uh, behind the scenes. And so now, you know, I practice a weekly Sabbath. I have all these uh, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly habits so that my life is actually structured around growing in Christ. Instead of just, you know, the, the old business adage applies here, hope is not a strategy. Man, I really hope I grow in Christ this year, okay? But how am I structuring my days, weeks, months, and years so that I have the structure to grow in Christ? So, uh, Toby, uh, you know, uh, he's on staff here. He pointed out this week that Paul and the Philippian church, they were experiencing three things that seemed to stop the gospel. Okay, they're facing three things that seem to stop the advancement of the gospel. Captivity, death, and opposition. They're facing captivity. They're facing death. They're facing opposition. But they don't go, retreat, fall back. Okay, let's live to see another day. No, no. No, as they're facing captivity, death, opposition, Paul is saying, advance, move forward. If your faith is facing things that seem to stop faith, if your marriage is seeming, is, is seeming to face things that stop marriages, if our church is facing things that seem to stop churches, the next step isn't to quit. It's to advance. Christ has overcome all things when the circumstances in front of you. Seems so bleak that you want to throw in the towel, throw on the armor of God. The shortest prayers are often the best prayers. Second Chronicles, it says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Matthew says, Lord, this is a prayer, save us, we're dying out here. Mark, I believe, help my unbelief. Matthew, Lord, help me. In the trial, in the pain, ask God to become your life. And it's great. And perfectly biblical to pray for your circumstances to change. That's great. To, to pray, that there's plenty of instances in the scriptures where we pray for our circumstances and plight in life to be different. But the big idea is to grow in Christ, not to hope in, or not to hope in different circumstances. So that second half of verse 19 there, uh, Paul is actually quoting Job. Job in ch chapter 13 said, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Even though I'm dying, my hope is in God, this will be my salvation. So the deliverance that Paul talks about in verse 20 is, it's a mirror word in the Hebrew to salvation there in Job. So the deliverance that Paul is talking about in verse 19 is not getting out of jail. Lord, you're going to deliver me from my circumstances, but it is a deliverance on the rock steady assurance that God's got him, no matter what. So he's not hoping in getting out of jail, he's hoping in Christ. That's his whole deal. So yeah, ask God to change your circumstances and then trust Him with the outcome. You know, two really important questions that I want each of you to think about this week, maybe even you could talk about in your small groups. In my life, is Jesus an enhancement or is He everything? Does He make things better or is Jesus my life? And for all of us, it's kind of complicated, right? I mean, uh, like I want Jesus to be my everything, like, I at least 
want to want Jesus to be everything in my life, like Paul is describing here, that no matter the circumstances, I will rejoice in Jesus and be so focused on making disciples that I can release my cares and worries into Christ. Like, I want to grow into that person, but how in the world do I become that? What does it look like for for me to go from today, Matt, to that kind of man, right? Paul is consumed with God and with others. He's living the fulfilled life because he's loving God and loving others. And emotionally healthy spirituality, an absolute must read. I read it at least once a year. You have to read this book. Okay, great. Pastor Pete Scazzaro wrote, you know, the critical issue on our journey with God is not, am I happy, but am I free? Am I growing in the freedom that God gave me? He goes on to say, detachment is the great secret to interior peace with Jesus. He means that he means he wants us to detach ourselves from ever hoping in anything that the world provides and attaching our hopes, desires, hearts, and souls to Jesus evermore. You know, along the way in life, in this journey with Christ, we get attached, right, to behaviors and habits and things and people in unhealthy ways. For example, I love my house. I love our home. I love my books, my wife, our three awesome kids, our church, our comforts, good health, all these things. And like you, right, I rarely realize how attached I am to something until it goes away. And then the power struggle begins, right? I'm like, God, I, I got to have that. And he's like, no, nah, you don't. All you need is me. Right? And you learn that, or I learn it over and over again. You know, when we put our claws into something and we don't want to take them out, we're actually beyond enjoying those things. Uh, we now must have them. Uh, Pastor Rich Viotis said, contentment is living free from the lie that having more of something makes me something more. Um, God's purpose for us is a loving union with Him. We joyfully detach from certain behaviors and activities for the purpose of a closer, uh, more intimate, more loving attachment to God. And we are to enjoy God's creation, okay? God made cows, that means God God made brisket, okay? That's how that works. We are to enjoy God's gifts, enjoy God's blessings without those blessings becoming ultimate. We are to enjoy our families and the things that God has given us without those things becoming the primary thing. And in the text today, don't for a second think that Paul's like, y'all think you have it bad? Man, suck it up, buttercup. I'm in prison over here, okay? Uh, Get tough. No matter what you're going through, go make disciples. Just do it. That's not what Paul is saying here. In Matthew 9, Jesus and his disciples, they're kind of traveling the countryside, right? And they're teaching and healing. And when Jesus saw the crowds, Luke, uh, no, Matthew 9 says that he had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. So his reaction isn't, and get y'all stuff together. No, he's like, ah, oh, I have compassion on these people. In Matthew 14, after receiving the terrible news that his cousin had been murdered, John, uh, Jesus withdraws to a solitary place because he's in grief. But all these people keep stalking him. They keep going after him. And they keep, even in his grief, they're all around him. And instead of getting aggravated, instead of getting angry with these people, Matthew 14 said Jesus had compassion on them and he healed the sick. In Luke 7, Jesus encounters a funeral procession, a widow grieving, losing her only son, okay? And Jesus didn't approach her and say, lady, do you know that you have neighbors who don't know me? 
Lady, have you even tied this month? No. Jesus, when he saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. He loved her. He had compassion on her. He felt her pain with her. This is why John 11.35 is so often quoted, Jesus wept. We know the story. Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, beloved by Jesus, dies. And both of his sisters, when Jesus finally gets to their house, they both kind of get onto him and they're like, hey, uh, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened, okay? And Jesus and the sisters just kind of sit there and they weep together. Jesus cries with them. Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still weeps with them. Why? Why weep with them when their tears are about to turn into dancing and celebration? Why weep with them when he knows the pain is just temporary? Jesus weeps with us because, the Scripture says, he's able to empathize with our weaknesses. So even though, even though he knows that the trial is just for a little while, the storm is about to pass, still he cares so much about us that he steps toward the pain. Whenever you fall back into your sin, you go, Oh, God, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't have. He, he doesn't go, See there? I knew you were going to do that again. He sits by us, puts his arm around us, and goes, it's okay. We're going to grow out of this together. And he cares so much about you. He really, truly does. He cares about you so much that he wants to be your whole life, to be your everything, for everything in your life to revolve around him because he knows that no other path will ever satisfy you. He knows that no other path will ever lead you where his path leads you. Satisfaction, joy, peace. And we can live courageously. Paul said he had full courage. You know, you can live courageously because even if the worst happens, you'll be with Jesus. Even if you lose everything, you'll be with Jesus. Ben, you guys can come on up. I want you to imagine a conversation between Paul and the prison guards. Okay, the prison guards in Rome, of course, not Christians. So the, the, the prison guards are like, we don't like you or your Messiah. We're going to kill you. And Paul's like, cool, dying's a win, you know? And they're like, okay, we're going to let you live then. And Paul's like, great. That means fruitful labor, and I get to make more disciples. They're like, okay, then we're going to make you suffer. And Paul's like, you know, I've always thought that suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed. So no matter what they were going to hit him with, he's like, great, that sounds good. Do you see the power of this perspective, that your whole life is Christ? Of your whole life being Jesus, of growing into a disciple who treasures Christ above all things again. It's unlikely that you have Paul's perspective tonight or tomorrow. But we can get a little bit closer. We can take one more step. This is the life that God wants for you. That you're so close with him and that you're getting closer with him.